0: Rebels, it's that time. Can you feel it? Are you ready to be a great parent? Do you want to feel like you're back on your honeymoon? Well, we believe in you and God believes in you. Rebels, it's time to join the rebellion. It's time for Rebel Parenting. Hey, Rebels. One of my favorite people is on the podcast today, and that is Shanti Feldhan. She is so smart and has so much to share with us today. We're going to talk about the good news about marriage. There is a statistic that's being quoted all over our country that marriage has a 50% divorce rate across the nation regardless of belief system, and it's not true. There is so much more good news about marriage out there. I can't wait for you to hear it. Here is Shanti Feldhan on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. We are now with Shanti Feldhan. Shanti, I love your books. I first read, I think the first thing I read from you was four Women Only, okay. which was fantastic. Like, I love, I love honesty. I love, hey, you may not like it, but all the research shows this. Like, I could pretend that truth doesn't exist, but <laughs> wouldn't you rather know what the truth is? I loved when you were like, listen, I'm not saying supermodel waif body. I am saying, sweats in a ponytail every day? Eh, maybe not. Like, if you're not trying at all, maybe you want to try a little bit. Just, I'm not saying you got to work out, you know, religiously. You got to be, you know, all this, you know, CrossFitter every day. That's me. But not just me. try a little. Like, point yourself in the right direction. Show your husband, like, hey, I care about what you think. I am trying kind of thing. Then. I know that got a little bit of flack, but I love that you're honest, and I want to tell all my listeners, the reason I had Shanti on today is because there is such good news about marriage, and when you came on last time, you were like, hey, I'm going to tell you something, and I was like, okay, and you're like, your tagline is, marriage is hard, but it's better with friends like us, and that's not true, marriage is not hard, you're hard to live with, it's not marriage, it's you, and I was like, what? That's exactly right. I am super hard to live with. Ask my wife. I did this. I did a mops talk two weeks ago to 120 moms, and I opened with that. I opened with marriage isn't hard. I'm hard to live with, and they all laughed. I'm like, you laugh. Go talk to my wife. I'm an insane person. Like, <laughs> And marriage is amazing. It's when we get off focus. It's when, we, it's when we start putting our rights over our responsibilities. When we start focusing on the person in the mirror and not the person next to us, marriage gets harder. But it's not the marriage that's hard. It's you that's being difficult to live with. And you gave another thing. I've been quoting the fact that there's a 52% divorce rate amongst all marriages, Christian or not. And you were like, that's not true. I did the research on this. And so it's such a great thing to hear. First marriages have about a 25% divorce rate. And second yes. marriages have around a 30% divorce rate and that is phenomenal news because when you tell an entire generation of young people hey flip of the coin if you get married you got 50 50 chance whether you're not gonna get divorced doesn't matter what you believe Doesn't matter if you go to church or not just maybe you'll get divorced maybe you won't and we come from a divorced generation we've seen divorce firsthand up front in our parents in those around us i've experienced it myself in my first marriage i don't ever want to go through that and if it's flip of a coin Why risk it? And it's not. Marriage is doing fantastic. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for going to Harvard for grad school, you overachiever. How dare you? You're talking to somebody with a a degree in communications. Like, ooh, I did so good. Like, I was born public speaking. My parents put me on a stage at three. That was the easiest major I could possibly go through. So Thank you for doing the research and getting down to brass tacks because there is great news about marriage, and we have the surprising secrets of highly happy marriages. Look at that cute couple you got on the front there. Look at them. <laughs> By the way, that's I hate these couples because you're like, "I want to look like this." And most of the time I'm like, "Huh?" Like, confused <laughs> or like, "What?" You know, this is what I want." And so thanks for coming on today. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. I'm always delighted to do your shows
0: with you. I love it. So talk to us. Tell us what a great state marriage is in and what did you find out that was surprising to you? Well, give us some surprises.
1: So here's the bottom line that I think for all of us, we need to be aware of. We have been surrounded in our culture for years. I mean, decades with this idea that there is, that marriage is in trouble, right? That yeah. there's this, all this bad news. Like you said, there's a 50% divorce rate. And if you get divorced and then remarried, heaven help you, you might as well give up now. And because, you know, we, <laughs> yeah, you've heard that, right? And Heard and, it. I've
0: uh, preached it. I have yeah, to now I, go I, back and you. recant that statement over and over and over again, because I've said it so many times.
1: I know. Well, me too, right? And what actually happened it's it's actually really relevant to this. i was this started years ago. I used to be a newspaper columnist. I had this nationally syndicated column, and it was this debate column on the issues of the day. And we were doing a I was doing a column about divorce. And I thought, you know, I always, as a researcher, I always want to make sure that I cite correct information because mm-hmm. there's so much bad information out there. And I thought, you know, maybe the divorce rate isn't actually 50, maybe it's 48.7. Like, you know, what's the actual divorce rate? And so I went to the Census Bureau and I do the researcher thing and I started looking at the the actual data out there. And as I'm looking deep into vital statistics and the CDC records and the Census Bureau, I'm like, everything I'm seeing is not matching the narrative at all, the conventional wisdom at all. And all of these numbers, I'm like, this can't be true. And as I was looking at it more and seeing the same numbers come up over and over again, which was, you know, somewhere in this 25, 30% range for on average for society as a whole for divorces. As I looked at this, I thought, hold up, wait a second. If this is true this is a huge deal yeah. because as a social researcher, you know, writing the books that you showed and you know I'm always hitting up random people in airports and you know yeah. asking questions totally and, and doing all the interviews about marriage and whatever and and I had seen that there's really only one common denominator, only one factor under whether a marriage makes it or not. There's a lot of factors that cause problems and you know lead to issues, but really, if you think about it, only one under which outcome happens, whether the couple stays together or not, and that's whether they have a sense of hope or a sense of futility. Mm-hmm. If they are having a difficult time, but they think, you know what, we'll be fine, we're in this for life, we're gonna make it, they generally do. It's once you start thinking, we're not gonna make it, mm-hmm. That things shift in your head and you start Mm -hmm. thinking, you know, if the ship is going to sink anyway, why bother working so hard to bail it out, right? Better to take all that energy and use it to try to escape the rack intact. Mm. And, And I thought, wait a minute, if this is true, that the societal divorce rate on average is at least half of what we've been told what that means by definition is the vast majority of marriages will last a lifetime. That is a completely different narrative. Totally. What I ended up doing way too complicated to explain, but it ended up being this huge project that took me eight years to try to understand what I was looking at enough to even start to analyze it, mm-hmm. because this area is so complicated. Yeah. So me, a senior researcher dug into this, and that ended up becoming that book that you showed the good news about marriage, just so that we have a better starting point for the conventional wisdom. When you say, by the way, if I could just say one thing, yeah. if when you say it's great news, it is great news, we can't Ignore the fact, though, that if the divorce rate is somewhere in that 25 to 30%, that's still too high. For sure. It's, that's a universe different than what we thought it yep. was.
0: Yep, definitely, definitely. So I wonder where that 50% came from. Because I, I was at a wedding in Orange County, and the pastor on stage said Orange County has a 90% divorce rate. No. And I was like, what? Nine out of 10 marriages yeah. in Orange County end in divorce? That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> no, thought, why would you not- say that at a wedding in the first place?
1: It's, first of all, that is something that has become fairly common because pastors, I think, or marriage ministry people think it makes people take it seriously. Like, I, we have yeah, to- if it bleeds,
0: it leads. It's if you do the exaggeration. You know, we had a, a dermatologist here in town, and I won't go to him anymore. I won't go to a doctor that just flat out lies to me. He told my wife that thirty minutes in the sun at 6,800 feet where we live is like being in the sun for eight hours in Newport Beach. And I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Of course not. She's like, that's what he said. He's a doctor. He knows what he's talking about, Ryan. I go, listen, I'm going to walk outside in my pasty skin and lay in the sun for 30 minutes, okay? And let's see what happens in 30 minutes. And the next time we go to California in the middle of summer, if I lay in the sun for eight hours, I will go to the hospital with third degree burns, I'll be blistered right. all over from head to toe. That can't possibly be true. But what he wants is, well, if I threaten you like crazy, you know, we used to call this first time obedience when parents of evangelicals, you know, back in the day with Bill Gothard and people that should never been talking about kids that didn't have kids of their own. When you're not married and don't have kids, don't write books on child rearing, Bill Gothard. I'm gonna throw you under the bus. That's right. I'm gonna say that. Don't say those things. Don't threaten if it's not true because if you find out it's a lie, then what else are you telling me that's a lie? And when it comes from pastors, when it comes from Christian leaders, when it comes from therapists, and you lie like that because you want to scare someone into doing the right thing, then what else are you lying about too? And I wasn't lying. I, just was, I was uninformed, and now it's one of my goals to tell people, hey, it's Thank a you. lot better than you think.
1: Yeah. The real question is, why do we think it was 50? Right. Why does that pastor in Orange County think it is a 90 percent divorce rate? Why? Where does this come from? Yeah. And there's first of all, there are a lot of reasons for this. But here's the the big one. There's well, actually, there's two big ones. Okay. The main reason that everybody thinks this is that back in the 1970s, which is when no fault divorce started. Yep. Right. And it sort of spread throughout the country really quickly. Thanks, Ronald Reagan. Yep, Ronald Reagan. He thought the biggest
0: mistake he made as a politician. The number one biggest mistake he made, not Iran-Contra, not anything else. Biggest mistake he made introducing no-fault divorce. Yep. I agree. Well,
1: and demographers would probably agree. I don't know whether they would say it was morally wrong, but they would say that was the start of what changed. And then what happened is because no fault divorce skyrocketed across the country, divorces started skyrocketing. And what happened is that it went so quickly, the rate of divorce started increasing so quickly that all the demographers looked at the trends and they went, oh, my gosh, if this trend keeps up, we're going to hit 50 percent someday. It was a projection now. Let me tell you first, the the most important thing is that that lasted a very short period of time that peaked in 1980 because everybody kind of saw the chaos it caused really quickly. And so ever since 1980, the divorce rate has been coming down steadily ever since then. And it's dropped, depending on which numbers you look at, anywhere from 25 to 45 percent since 1980, wow. depending on which numbers you use. Sure, yeah. Sure. I mean, but everybody knows it's been plummeting except for us and pastors and whatever. <laughs> experts all know it's been coming down. Okay. So in other words, we never hit 50%. And because of those trends, we're never going to, it's all come down. Mm. So, but here's, here's the problem. And this is why the average person doesn't realize this is because, and there's a lot of reasons for this, But, kind of, the university class, I guess you'd call it, of people, university demographers, whatever, there is a lot of skepticism perhaps about marriage. There's, you know, that's sort of a mindset. And they continue to project that we're going to have these really bad divorce rates. Now, in the last few years, that started to change a little bit. But here's what we don't realize we see an article that says, University so and so, you know, Professor such and such, projects a 48% divorce rate, and we miss the word project. Yep. We have never come close to hitting it mm-hmm. for society as a whole.
0: Listen, Shanti, a, we talk yeah. about global warming, and now we had to change it to climate change because it's so nebulous you can say anything is climate change. Well, yeah, climate yep. change is all year long. It goes to the seasons. In the 70s, Time Magazine had a cover that said, The Coming Ice Age. The coming ice age, it was a global freezing that was going to take place, and then it reversed to global warming, and now it's a climate change thing. It changed. It was a projection. It was, hey, based on these modelings and based on these inputs that we put in, if we do these things, then there's going to be an ice age that hits, and guess what? That didn't happen, and – well, whatever you believe about climate change, whatever, but – We've got to see, they're right, projection is a very key word. We think maybe if all these things take place, if it continues in this direction, if something doesn't change, if you don't hear new information, this might happen.
1: Well, and here's the other issue to us that for the average person, just the average consumer of media who, you know, they're not going to go spend hours or days or months looking at census bureau data, you know, it's what's the easily consumed information. And so the media, the news media, it sort of filters some of that. And so there's a, you know, there's some good reporting out there, but the news by definition, if that, what we found is that if there was a study, let's say a big study comes out about the state of marriage or whatever, Mm. if there are, Let's just say there's 10 findings. What we found is that maybe eight of them might be good. Two of them might be negative. Guess which ones are going to get the media headlines? Because the negative stuff sort of they think and maybe they're right. It sort of draws attention. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a perfect example of this. So right before we finish the book, I'm like, literally, we have to add this in. This cannot go to print without this. Right before we finished this, there was this huge longitudinal study that had just completed in Framingham, Massachusetts. And the New York Times ran a top of the fold front page banner headline that came out of this long term study in Massachusetts that said divorce is contagious. And it showed because in Framingham, Massachusetts, since 1941, they have tracked all marriages and divorces and a lot of other stuff. And they found that if you have a lot of friends who get divorced, you're more likely to get divorced because it becomes more normative. Okay. So they call it divorces contagious, which is accurate, which is true. Sure. When you look at the actual study, you find a couple of things that are to me just as important that didn't get mentioned. Wow. Obviously, the first is the opposite is true. Lack of divorce is also contagious. If you have mostly friends who tend to stay together, encourage each other in their, your marriages, you're very unlikely to get divorced. But to me, the stunning, stunning thing was that they actually knew the divorce rate for Framingham, Massachusetts, which is very hard. That's one of the reasons for the controversy is that nobody knows exactly what the national divorce rate is, Mm -hmm. all sorts of reasons, but they haven't tracked the actual numbers in decades. It's very difficult. So it's all estimates. But they knew what it was in Framingham, Massachusetts. So here's take a guess. In Framingham, Massachusetts, what the divorce rate is? This representative American town,
0: eighteen percent,
1: nine point five percent. Whoa, nine point five. Wow. Now, why wasn't that top of the fold yes. front page in the New York Times? Mm. Representative American town has wow. a nine point five percent divorce rate. Wow. Why wasn't that the headline Seriously. that everybody can hear and be encouraged by? Mm-hmm. And so here's the problem is that when we primarily get this filtered through what is going to be more likely to be, you know, focusing on the negative and stuff, it unnecessarily discourages us about the state of divorce. Now, or marriage. Now, hold, it is important for me to say, that there are groups of people who have really high divorce rates. Like, for example, if you get married as a teenager, if you get married when you are under 20 years old, yep. like 17, 18, 19 years old, those groups do have much higher divorce rates. But that's like four point I think it's four point seven percent of the population. It's a tiny percentage. And so there are higher risk factors. Sure. It's just that for most people listening to this you probably are more likely to be in that 9.5% risk rate. Right. Right.
0: Well, people that live together before they're married have a higher percentage of divorce than those that don't live together before they're married. Uh, And that's an interesting one too because I, I saw a really big breakdown of that. There were like four or five factors where if you had all of these factors involved, then not only was it not a higher percentage chance that you'd get divorced. It was a little bit lower chance. There were a lot of factors about living together. It was like a certain age, a certain number of relationships you'd had, a median income that you had, that you were already engaged with a a wedding date in the future. There were so many factors that if you meet all these criteria, then living together probably isn't going to be a big detriment to your marriage health or not. And... If you don't have these factors, then it was like skyrocketing that you definitely would have a higher chance of divorce.
1: (laughs) Well, here's the funny part. Some people listening to this are probably like my good friends. Um, We have these friends who've been in our home group from church for years and years and years. Kids the same age, you know, been married almost 25 years. And when they found what I had been finding and they heard some of the stuff about living together before they got married, their faces went white because – before they actually were really committed to Christ in their lives, they had lived together, I think, for two or three years before they got married. And she was like, like her face just like sunk. And she's like, oh, my gosh, that's a higher risk. And I'm like, so you've been married for 20 years and you've got a great marriage. I think you And you're okay. committed to Christ. Yeah. I think you're fine. Yeah. And that's one of the things that it's easy to get freaked out. Yeah. I literally hear when I stand in front of people and I say, for example, if you've been in this room and you've been married for longer than four and a half years, you'll probably just be just fine. You see the whole room go, <gasps>
0: right, yep,
1: totally. <laughs> you know, totally, because we just have this sense of impending doom hanging over our head, and it's ridiculous. It's so not true. Mm.
0: Shanti, let's jump into the next one. Let's jump into surprising secrets of highly happy marriages. Yeah. What are some of those things that you found out that we can work on in our marriages that will help us be happier and more successful in marriage? Everybody wants to know that. I mean, I was at MOPS. I got asked so many times, so many questions like, what can I do? I want to have a good marriage. I want to have a happy marriage. I want to have a successful marriage. What are those things that you found?
1: So it turns out that there's a bunch of little things that really matter. And this study was of what is it that the most happily married couples are doing differently? (laughs) And so we actually, I was kind of worried it would be a lot of big things that you can't replicate You know, yes, yes, they have the same temperament or something with each other. And that's not it at all, actually. I know. So anybody like me or like you, who's a type A is like, woohoo about that. So it turns out that some of the most crucial little things that matter are, for example, one of the big ones is that the most happily married couples choose to believe the best of their spouse's intentions toward them, even when they're legitimately hurt. That's a huge deal because everybody gets hurt, right? Like, you know, we even in great marriages, you hurt each other's feelings sometimes. Totally. Never,
0: natural- me. Never me. Never me. But all those no. other people out there that aren't type A or critical or judgmental. Of course, yes. It's so good that Laura's not here right now. Honestly, (laughs) like our son has an infection in his foot, and I pray to the Lord that he's okay. But I was secretly so happy she had to take him to the doctor because the last one and this one, I didn't want her to be a part of because I want to be vulnerable and open. Like, I am so self critical, I'm so driven, I'm so type A. That I am very hard to live with at times. I'm really hard to live with because I'm just like, when in doubt, keep working, work harder, organize more, do more, like just do more, do more, do more. And she's like, You're exhausting. You are exhausting. You're relentless. Slow down. Like, I keep building our gym bigger and bigger and bigger. Like, I'm just, obs- <laughs> I, have, I have five different punching bags. That's just the punching bag what? side of my gym. I've got, full, uh, squat rack. I've got, uh, uh, yes, it's, it's obsessive and I am so hard to live with at times, but that is a great one. And it's, here's the thing. I want all the rebels out there to pay attention to this one. This is a choice. It's a choice to have your head override your heart because feelings come and go. My dad wrote a book about, billion years ago called emotions. Can you trust them? Short answer? No, you can't. You can't trust your emotions. They go up and down. They fluctuate. depends on what you eat, time of day, cycle you're on, the moon, all kinds of things affect your emotions. And you can choose to say, you know what? When we got married, my spouse looked me in the eye and they said, for richer, for poor, for in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, worse till death do us part. I love you. I'm going to be with you forever. And you can choose to believe, regardless of what your ridiculous heart is telling you at times, I know they have my best intentions at heart. I know you mean well. You're a buffoon. You are stepping all over yourself. You're jumping on landmines like crazy. You pulled the pin on the grenade too many times. And yet, in that thick skull, I know you mean well. I know you're not. Tr- it might hurt my feelings, I know you're not trying to hurt my feelings, right? Like when Laura and I were first dating, I made her go to my therapist with me because I knew how pretty she was and I knew how much my blinders were on. And if there was anything that I should be looking at that I wasn't looking at, Betty would find it out for me. And Laura's like, (laughs) well, what are you gonna do if she doesn't like me? I'm like, well, we'll break up. And she was like, what? What? And I was like, well, she's super smart and you're super hot and I'm not seeing anything I should be seeing. She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, no, she'll love you. She'll love you. She's like, I can't believe you said that. I'm not the smartest person in the world when it comes to just being honest about those types of things. So it has to be a choice of regardless of where we are at and how I feel, I will choose to believe you've got my best intentions at heart.
1: Well, and here's the good news is that that's not wishful thinking. What we found on the surveys is that the vast majority of people, even actually in really difficult seasons of a relationship, really, really care Mm. about their spouse. I mean, the number was so off the charts. It was like 99.37 something something percent of people really care, even actually in the people who said that they were in the worst place in their relationship, Mm. where they were down on the bottom end of the scale. It was 97 percent. So we really care about each other and we're both trying really hard. Like we're really working at it, but sometimes we don't know some of these things about each other. Sometimes we don't realize how we're coming across or we just make stupid decisions. Sometimes we don't realize we're maybe trying hard in the wrong areas. Mm -hmm. We're missing each other or sometimes hurting each other. And we don't intend to, we didn't know it. Yep. So, that's why some of the stuff that I spend so much time on trying to unpack for people like how men think or how women think or marriage issues so that we can try hard in the right areas.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And it makes these little changes can make a big difference.
0: Believing the best about your spouse, believing they have your best intentions in at mind. Yes. What else?
1: So another one that actually goes along with what you were saying earlier is that the happy couples, they actually learned how to boss their feelings around. Like literally, like you can't trust your emotions. They had learned this. And so either some of them, I think kind of maybe did it naturally because sometimes people's personalities just work that way. But most of the time they had trained themselves that when they were upset about something and I would ask them to take me through their last argument, take me through the thought process. And it was really fascinating to hear this pattern over and over and over yeah, I was so mad. And I was thinking this and this and this and this. And then I was thinking, well, but that's really not fair. Because, you know, she does this so well, or he does this so well. And, you know, she really cares about me, or he really takes care of me. And gosh, he's such a great wife, or he's such a great husband. And why am I being such a jerk? Right? Like there was this thought process where they literally would switch their thoughts to actually focusing on positive stuff about this person that they were mad at mm-hmm. their spouse mm-hmm. and whatever it was, was real. Like it didn't diminish that they were maybe legitimately upset about something, yep. Yep. but that they literally switched their thought process. Let me give you a real life example from my marriage.
0: Thank you. Cause I, so, I could give you one from mine, but I'm just tired of throwing myself under the bus.
1: <laughs> well, this is actually Jeff. This is one of Good the deal. examples. he's He shares when we do a marriage conference and I think it's a perfect little example. So Jeff is and I are both very sort of organized when it comes to mental planning and, you know, thinking things through and stuff. Jeff is physically neat. Okay, if I were to show you take this webcam and turn it around, you'd see that my office is not physically neat. Like it is difficult for me to be physically organized. You're laughing you maybe I'm people, like you I'm totally I'm, my okay. producer's
0: over here and she has to sit in my <laughs> messy office and yeah, we try to exactly. clean it and then I get back in it by myself and I go yay <laughs> I
1: know yeah so I stack paper I do all these other things I'm just not physically neat and it used to drive Jeff absolutely batty because yeah. he's like why can't you just see the me-? like I would literally step over the pile of laundry like I wouldn't even see it so and and a lot of couples are flipped on this where it's the husband who's more messy and the wife mm-hmm. who's more neat. So I have a lot of sympathy for all those poor husbands. But anyway, this was actually causing some issues in our marriage because it was really understandably driving Jeff a little crazy. And then he came downstairs one day and he stepped on a Lego because our kids were smaller at that point, And he turned his ankle and he was like, rit, rit, rit. you know, there's Legos all over the floor. My papers are all over the kitchen table. And he felt like, God stopped him, and he said, he felt like this is what the Holy Spirit sort of nudged him in his heart. He said, you know those Legos? You know all those papers? Yeah, they're sprawled all over the kitchen table. Those are signs that you have in this house a couple of little kids who think you're the best thing they've ever seen, and a wife who adores you. And you could be back in your small New York apartment, clean and tidy as a pin, alone. And Jeff said instantly, it was this his brain turned, and he's like, literally, from then on, every time he starts getting upset about the fact that, you know, he's cleaned stuff up and I make it messy again. And he's like, yeah, but that's a sign that I have this amazing oh, wife. Yours? <laughs> He said it changed everything in his heart. And that's something that we've seen over and over from the happy couples. And the good thing is statistically, by the way, all of these little things we're talking about, they worked if only one partner did them. Really? Only one. Yep. Out of the 12, there was only one thing that it had to be mutual. Out of the 12. 11 of the 12, it worked. The happiest couples were that happy if only one partner had done them.
0: Whoa. Okay, I'm gonna give you yeah. one that I just saw. Sure. I was in a supermarket, and I saw a couple, and the husband was kind of being frisky with his wife. He was like, kind of, like he was teasing a little bit, but he kept touching her butt. And I saw. By the way, I I, I was such an invasion on there, but they both had <laughs> wedding rings on, so it's not like there's a dating couple. This is a married couple, and you can tell married couples like every now and then, and. Yeah. And she was like, stop it. And she got mad at him. And I saw the look on his face like, Ugh, whatever. And they moved on. And I just thought, you know what? Listen, honey, he could be looking at that girl's butt. He could be trying to put, touch someone else's butt. Aren't you stoked that you've got a husband that still wants to touch your butt? Like, isn't that what you want? Like, I don't care how you feel. If you feel fat, if you feel out of shape, if you feel like you don't look good right now. Like, isn't it? Like, just... Think the fact that he's not looking at someone else and not trying to touch someone else—that he's still like, check out my hot wife. I'm still turned on by my wife. I'm so turned on in the supermarket. I'm still trying to pinch you. Like, isn't that awesome? Like, I just want to be like, you should celebrate that. You should be going home and doing it tonight. Like, woo! We're still doing it. Like, so many couples aren't. So many couples have got that wedge. They've gone apart from each other. The husband's into porn, the wife's into whatever, and it's not happening. You've got a guy that's attracted to you so much so that in public, he's showing every guy out there, which is, by the way, that's such a marking your territory thing. You see another guy and you're like, uh uh-uh, uh, my wife. Check it out. You know, you know, she's my wife because I'm touching her on the butt. Like, that's a guy marking territory thing. Women have got to understand the psychology of a man what they're thinking about when they do that like that's a great thing like how funny it was so cute and then she like i mean i, I don't want to throw it in the bus she kind of ruined it i was like oh he's a little bit bummed now like what a bummer i thought it was funny yeah. i thought it was great i love that man shanti that's such a good one because that's truth i could be alone right yeah i could be I see lonely people all the time. I got friends that desperately want to get married and aren't married that are in the dating game. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine dating today? Like in 2019 with all that's going on, going on a first date or a second date bar, please. No, thank you. I know we've got like dating people on Julie. I just praise you for being in a relationship and listening to this program and the last one. And Man, I love being married. I love being married. Laura had an emergency surgery three weeks ago, and the doctor Ooh. said had we tried to fly home and had not gone to the ER, she wouldn't have made it. And I can't get over it. I don't want another person in my life than uh. Laura. I, when we met, two months after we met, by the way, two months, <laughs> you know how insane I am? You know who she has to live with? Two months after we met, I had already asked her to marry me, one, after three weeks, And I went and got her name tattooed on me this big. My entire right rib cage has Laura in the Cadillac font, in this big looping font. I wanted the entire world to know, I'm done. I'm done. My wedding ring is on my finger. I just got a diamond put on it too. I'm done. I don't want another person. And my stupid, selfish person gets stuck on my rights over my responsibilities and all the things I'm doing and she's not doing and all the things that we can be as selfish people, I've got to remember I could be alone without my beautiful, my kids, my goodness, I, I, I can't, I can't even describe in words how much I love being a dad. I mean, it is it's the most challenging thing in the world. It's the greatest thing. We took Lucy to Disneyland at age seven. It changed her life. It cha- so It was a life. Cha- I watched a life-changing moment of my little girl at this Disney parade. I watched her life change. Oh, it's awesome. I've got to continue to rem- Every day I got to get up and be like, you won. You won, man. You did it. You've been married 13 years. You did it. You got the prize. You've got the trophy. Everything you ever wanted, you have. Like all these little things are so subsidiary to the prize that you've got. That's the thing we got to be focusing on. Okay, give me one more. We got just a couple minutes and then I got to get another one. But where does sex play in successful couples? millennials, Shanti, millennials aren't having sex like they ought to. They really aren't. I got to tell millennials, all you millennials, all you people listening, you ought to be doing it like four or five times more than you are right now. And our culture, all the tropes and the zeitgeist, every sitcom has this and every rom-com movie has this thing they preach. And it says the most sex, the most passion, the craziest stuff that you do, the most love is your first year of marriage And then it declines after that. Your first year is the most passion. Your first year is the most sex. And every year after that, it goes down further and further and further. And it ought to be the opposite. Like my first CrossFit workout... I threw up in my neighbor's yard. My neighbor, Jess, is a trainer. She's a professor of health sciences. She is like the strongest. She was doing CrossFit works out nine months pregnant. She is my hero. She wears the Wonder Woman t-shirts. And it's like, oh, for sure. She lifts more than I do. She's stronger than me. Her husband is a beast. Dan is just like, I want to be Dan so bad. I puked in her front yard my first CrossFit workout. I don't puke anymore. I'm better at it. And hey, guess what? The more you have sex, the better you get at it, (gasps) the better you get. So where does sex play in successful marriages? Okay. So
1: that's a good one to end with. Um, So, and I'll tell you some of the statistics, interestingly,
0: which is that producer has to put up with this all the time.
1: (laughs) I'm sure they love it. Here's to me, the most encouraging thing about this. My study, Brad Wilcox study at the university of Virginia Several other major studies on the factors in the happy marriages have found that the happiest couples are also most likely to be connecting physically Mm -hmm. and have that physical intimacy as a regular part of their married life, even though sort of the number and sort of how often it was all over the map. But the idea is essentially that it is protective for the relationship. It doesn't just, it's not just about, it turns out the physical side of things. It's about the emotional connection that is incredibly important to men that a lot of women don't realize that this is actually an emotional need to feel desired by his wife and wanting to feel close. And that's an instinctively important thing for a guy. A lot of us as wives don't know that. And for husbands to recognize that for wives, we care about this too, but we are just so physically different. And it requires actually for a husband to try to learn his wife, which is incredibly important for a lot of other reasons. And so it turns out that God designed this physical connection to actually be something that's to make a marriage wonderful and abundant, but also it's protective. And and one of the most interesting things that to me was fun and neat to see was when I actually started to look at some of the neuroscience underneath this. Yeah. 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 And it turns out for anybody here who's kind of like, Oh, I just, you know, I know this is important, but I'm just not as interested or, you know, whatever.
0: By Cause the a way, lot of us, is, I hear that. <clears throat> a- here's, here's the one thing I hear. And I saw a Ted talk on this, uh, and it was a woman from, uh, Connecticut and she sounds so much like she's from Connecticut. Wow. It was just shocking. <laughs> But we hear women say, I want to want to have sex. I just don't. I want to yes. want to be turned on. I'm just not. And the, here's the boiled down TED talk. If you want to want to have sex, have sex. The more you have sex, yes. the more you're going to want to have sex.
1: The more you. Well, there's a reason for that. And she probably touched on it. But neuroscientifically, it's about the testosterone level. And testosterone is in everybody's body, in women's as well as men's. Men obviously has more have more testosterone. if we did, we'd be a guy. like that's how it works. Um, but everybody does and it is what makes you more interested in physical intimacy. And what they have found is that if you don't have sex, what happens is your testosterone level falls. so then you're less interested. So you have less sex and it falls more mm. and it becomes a vicious downward spiral because you're just like interested in anything else but that. And what happens is, is if you then actually have sex, you're like, you know what, I'm going to fake it till I make it. This is one of those things I need to just do it because I know it's crucial for our marriage. And I'll trust that I'm going to get interested as I go along. If you actually have sex with your spouse, then your testosterone level rises and then you're more interested. So you're more willing to have sex and your testosterone level rises even more. And what they the neuroscience has found is that roughly having sex about once a week actually keeps ticks your testosterone level up to a, a self-sustaining level where you are tend you tend to be more interested and it tends to be that positive cycle. But once it falls below about once a week and you, you know, this is something that you're just like, okay, fine, I'll do my duty, yep. right? Yep. That's where that starts to happen. Yep. So it's actually helpful for our, those of us who have less testosterone in our system. And there are men who are like that too, obviously. Yeah. We found out in our surveys that about 20% of couples are flipped on this. Totally. But whoever is the one with the lower libido, just be aware that that is a huge deal. And that once you actually... Kickstart your testosterone level. It changes the dynamic. I've got someone the on the live
0: broadcast right now that it was flipped for them. That's something I would tell any couple that's in their 40s go get your hormones checked. Like, lo and behold, yeah. I'm 48. And at 45, I was like, my goodness, I just, I'm tired all the time. I'm gaining weight. I, I work out like I try to work out and nothing changes. And I just, I'm lethargic. And I was at my doctor, Laura had had a full hysterectomy. And by the way, if you've had a hysterectomy, you're not producing uh, hormones anymore. You should be getting hormones and testosterone ought to be a little part of that. Uh, and so we were with Laura getting her hormone shots with our doctor. And I was like, my gosh, I'm tired all the time. And Dr. Hallmark here in Colorado, the greatest, greatest doctor. He was like, Ryan, do you feel like you lost your mojo? And I was like, yes. I totally do. He's like, let's check your testosterone level. Oh, hey, guess who had low testosterone? D B. And now I get a pellet put in twice a year. I don't do oral. I don't do cream. I don't do all that. I get pellets put in. It kicks in, and then it levels off for about six months, and then it goes down, and I get pellets put in again. My life has completely changed. I am an That's evangelist awesome. for testosterone. I lost 50 pounds, and now I gained, wow. I know. I gained, well, I I lost too much, and then I gained a bunch of muscle back, by the way, I gained 15 pounds, and my waist size didn't change, (gasps) oh, oh my goodness, it was so amazing, I think better, I sleep better, Uh, my sex life got better, everything got better, my hormones were off, and that's a part of growing older, it's okay, just go get it checked, you know, if you're feeling like, and by the way, we don't want to have any more kids, well, we can't have any more kids, but, That was one of those things. If I'm getting testosterone injected in me, my body's not producing it like it was before, but it wasn't producing it enough anyway. So (laughs) I love that. And that's the truth. The science behind that is when you do have sex once a week, your testosterone level does come up and it does make you want to have that. We have a pamphlet called Why You and Your Spouse Should Schedule Sex and How to Have It More Often. And that's one of the big reasons. Schedule it so the point is you don't have to schedule it after a while. You'll start wanting it on your own.
1: Yeah. And the thing that I just want to encourage everybody with is this is just one of those things that some people don't want to hear it, right? And there are people who come from, there's all sorts of issues that could be getting in the way, right? Totally. Let's just acknowledge
0: yes. that, yes. right? There's
1: lots of issues. The issue for me as a researcher, as I, you know, we've interviewed and surveyed more than 20,000 men and women now over the years, and the this issue is so It seems so small, it seems kind of simple, and it is, but it's so important. It's just part of the way God has designed marriage to work at the core. And so it is really, it's one of those things that if you're going to attend to anything, like in your marriage, attend to this one. Totally. Like if there's anything that you're going to try to get help or figure out, you know, why, why, you know, does that abuse in my past still play into my relationship today, you know what? This is one of those things. You're worth it. Your marriage is worth it. To actually look into that. I agree. And thankfully, thankfully, because of the way God designed us, thankfully, usually it's not rocket science. That's right. So
0: Uh, listen, I'm gonna close with this because we've got another one. And my goodness, Shanti, you are just the greatest. But if you're married and you've got a bad sex life and you are not actively working on getting a better sex life, then you are actively working on the demise of your marriage. And we believe that here. That is a – it is not the biggest part of your marriage, but it is a very important part of your marriage.
1: And there are plenty of people who are probably a little discouraged because they would love to have their spouse work on this part of their marriage, but their spouse isn't interested. And to them, honestly – I would say if it is this big of a deal for you, because in some marriages, they're okay with having much lower frequency, right? But if this is something that is extremely difficult for you, then you have a choice. And one of the choices is to really take this as this is a boundary. It's just as if the other person has an addiction or something mm-hmm. that they, that is crucial to your marriage that they need to work on. And for you to be able to say that is a legitimate need on your yep, part. Totally.
0: Man, Shanti, you're the best. I got We got to have you back on on the regular basis because it's just too good. There's so much good news about marriage out there. There's so many things that we can do to make your marriage better. These little tiny things that you're talking about. I love it. Thank you again for being on here. It's a delight. Talk to you later. Let's do it again. All right. All right. Thanks for listening, Rebels. Marriage is one of the most amazing things we can have in our lives, and I'm so glad Shanti is telling all of us the good news about marriage. Thanks to MyPillow, MyPillow MyPillow.com, code word REBEL, for a discount on a four-pack of pillows, and The Voice of the Martyrs, helping those persecuted around the world. Persecution.com for more information. We'll see you next time, Rebels.
1: Rebel Parenting is produced by Rebel Media House, and when you need a little help with your marriage or parenting—and everyone does—you can find it at rebelparenting.org. Sign up for the Rebel Update by texting the word Rebel to 444999. That's R E B E L, and the number is 444999. We love it when you share Rebel Parenting with your friends and family, so thank you. God bless. Thanks for spending your time with us. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Rebel Parenting.